Hello, my name is Holly Owens, and welcome to Ed Up Ed Tech, the podcast that keeps you in the know about all the latest ed tech happenings. We interview guests from around the globe to give you deeper insights into the ed tech industry, the field of instructional design, and more. We're proudly a part of America's leading podcast network, the EdUp Experience. It's time to sit back and enjoy the latest episode of EdUp EdTech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of EdUp EdTech. My name is Holly Owens, and I'm your host. And today, we have a very special returning guest. We have Matt Whelan, who is a senior account executive at Formative. Matt, welcome to the show. It is great to be back. Excited to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you. It's been about a year since we last chatted and talked about all the happenings and good things you're doing at Formative. But for people who haven't got the chance to go back, and you should go back and listen to episode five, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about Formative and what you do there. So I am a former classroom teacher, thought I would live in the classroom forever, uh, and I can prove it. I'm not just saying that. I taught for seven years, and then I got my master's in education, and then left like the next year. So it, that was not expected. That wasn't a plan, but it's it's what I did. I went into the B2B world for four or five years, and then I came back to education, and now I work on the dark side of education as an ed tech vendor. Um, started in 2020. You hear formative, you probably think formative assessment. You would be right. That's that's what we do. I would say that we are the world's best formative assessment platform. It's just so easy to use. That's what I hear our teachers that use our platform. All I've, the time. I've read things about formative on LinkedIn. It's really cool to see all the traction that it's getting. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll share a quick story. I was at a district in Illinois a couple of weeks ago, and I was demoing this one feature. They had told me about one of the products that they were currently using that they were considering replacing with us. And the common feedback, like, why are you looking to make a change? Well, it's time consuming. Our teachers only use this platform when we require them to, which hello, lights on the dashboard, something's wrong. When people only use something when they absolutely have to use it, it's probably an indicator that they don't like the platform. And teacher adoption, you want to make their life easier. What they're telling you is that by not using it, you're making their life harder by using it. So um, they did the right thing. They were looking to replace. And anyways, I demonstrated one feature that I felt like I had a good idea would resonate with them. And I had like 25, 30 people go, ooh, ah, wow. I love it. it. (laughs) I was just trying to show them like this stuff is super easy to use. You think it's easy. I can promise probably easier than, than you might even think. I love that when people are like, oh, this is something very interesting that we definitely need to get into and talk more about and like not keeping it so secretive and being transparent that really brings teachers in or you get the buy-in for sure. I've talked to my students about this and some of them have expressed concern about bringing platforms in that just aren't useful to them. And you're right. They only use it when they're required to, whether that's for an observation or some sort of testing. It's really sad, though. You want the technology to be something fun and engaging for the students and the teachers. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I can give some evidence to this also. Internally, we started, we've always listened to teachers. Our founders were teachers themselves. So we're literally a company built by teachers for teachers. A lot of our current staff are teachers in all departments. And anyways, we created a new process to collect feedback. We've always collected feedback. We've always listened to it, built features based on requests. But now we're getting quantitative feedback and not just qualitative. And so internally, we have a Slack channel that all day long is just pinging ratings that our users are giving us. And the amount of 10 out of 10s that we get is really like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of 10s. And we get it on a regular basis. So that's fun when that happens. Oh my gosh, I love it how it's connected to that. So you get that instant gratification in your Slack channel. How cool is that? Yeah, I love it. In fact, I just started using it. We're trying to find ways to use that data. And one of the things I'm doing is I'm looping that back to the people that signed up with us. And I'm saying, look, like you thought your people would love it. You were right. Here's a recent survey that we got from one of your people just this morning. So we talked all into the year of the pandemic, and we had learned a lot about people being prepared for online learning and distance learning. So what have you and Formative learned being in this post-pandemic society in the past year? We've learned that the market's changed a lot. We've learned that, what's the old saying, old habits die hard. I hear technology directors a little bit frustrated at times saying, we spent all of this money on a large number of subscriptions to give our teachers what we needed, which was the right choice. You know, you give people what they needed in 2020 to survive. That was a year of survival. And now they're going back to the classrooms. And if you could see me right now, I'm I'm acting out what teachers did with their Chromebooks. They took it and then they slid it onto their bookshelf next to them. And it's just been like collecting dust in some yeah. And you can imagine being a director of technology and investing hundreds of thousand dollars in new technology and infrastructure. And then to see your teachers just not, I think that that would be a little frustrating. That is frustrating. Also too, from the teacher perspective, like putting technology to collect dust, really not a good thing to model for your students either, because they have to be prepared for jobs that are going to use these tools in the future. But you also have to make it relevant to them. Like why should they continue to use the Chromebooks? Why should they continue to use the said technology insert whatever here? You have to make sure that you're still making it relevant and that the investment that you made is purposeful. Absolutely. I used to be of the mindset that you use technology like it's a means to an end always. Now I'm a little bit on the other side of the spectrum, like technology just for the sake of learning technology and becoming fluent in a, in a digital world is important for these students to constantly be learning, exploring. And our teachers have to be of a similar mindset. I'm not saying technology is the right case in every situation. And, and I would say on a positive note, also, like a lot of the best practices that came out continue to be practiced by educators all over the world. That was just the first thing that came to my mind of like, when I talk to people, they usually call me because they're frustrated about something. <laughs> so like, Yeah. So it usually starts out of like anger, frustration. Ah, I can't do this. I don't know how to make this work. Exactly. So it's like on the new business side. So people only contact me when they're frustrated about their current situation and they're looking to make a change. So that's kind of why I think that was my first thought. Yeah. Well, let's dive into assessments a bit. So in the pandemic, what have you been seeing as far as assessments go? How are teachers using assessments? Has there been more use of assessments, less use? What are they trying to do when it comes to assessing the students that sometimes are, if we look at some of the news stories that have been out there, that are sometimes behind 
because of the pandemic. So how are you seeing things happening in this ecosystem? Well, that's interesting. I pushed out a, a survey on my LinkedIn in September, and I asked 25 questions to educators. One of the questions I asked was exactly this. Are you planning to use same amount of technology for assessments this school year as you did last year? Less or more? And the amount of educators that said, I'm using the same amount of assessments in this school year or more, that was the majority response. So actually, wow. of the people I surveyed did not plan to dial it back in the realm of assessment. Interesting. I think I saw that survey fly across my screen, actually. So what is your take on that when they're saying that they're using the same amount or more? And then I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about like how formative is helping to sustain this assessing in the classroom and what you all are doing on the back end um, to support teachers. Well, one of the things that came out of this survey was I wanted to figure out educators' current attitudes and dispositions towards formative assessment, not our platform formative, but towards formative assessment as a practice. The data that I collected was very clear. I had over 100 teachers from all across the country representing 60 plus districts give feedback on this. The top three pieces of information that they cited as their current top challenges were number one, time it takes to give quality student feedback. Number two, time it takes to create formative assessments. And then number three, time it takes to grade formative assessments. And those were like all neck and neck. Like they were like 73%, 72%, 71%. I allowed them to select multiple answers, but those were the three top answers by far. That makes perfect sense. Definitely the time one for sure. So how is formative and the technology that you're putting out there, how is that helping mitigate some of these challenges that teachers are experiencing? Yeah, I would say that we address all three of those things. Mm -hmm. really I was well. going to say the same. I'm like, totally agree. It does. Yeah. And I would even say there are additional benefits to our platform. But for example, if I take a curriculum assessment document that I've used as a worksheet for the last 20 years in the classroom, and I just upload it into formative, the ability to tag questions, tag standards, uh, create a rubric and then get live feedback on how students are performing on that assessment, it literally saves hours of, of teacher time. So I find that that kind of platform should continue to be used because it's literally giving teachers time back. Absolutely. To their Absolutely. And I know that they love that because there's so many other things and responsibilities on their plate. So I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about you are a transition teacher, and also the popularity that has surrounded your profile on LinkedIn since we chatted. Like you have upwards of almost close to 20,000 followers out there. And I know a lot of people ask about, they're like, well, how do you do all this? And plus you have a full-time job and you're generating such great content. So number one, let's talk about what advice maybe you could give to some transitioning teachers. Cause there's a lot of people we probably both talk to who want to know how to do that. And then also talk about what you're doing out there in LinkedIn world. It's amazing. Yeah. So here's my story. I went to the B2B world first and I built a resume. That's how I did it. And so after four or five years in the B2B world, I built a resume that demonstrated a series of skills and accomplishments and then 
elevated that to the next level. So after two years, I moved companies. Then after two years, moved companies again until I came back to ed tech. No real secret sauce there. Time plus hard work and intentionality was how I did that. And I, I think that that's a recipe. I've seen other people make the jump. I've seen a lot of people jump from teaching into ed tech. Holly, I'm interested to get your take on this, but my observations right now is that the job market is really tough. So ed tech companies were hiring like crazy over the last two years, and now they've slowed in hiring and yeah. they've also slowed in the type. So not just the quantity of hires, but also they want to hire people with proven work experience doing that same job before which means that transitioning teachers is tough and you really have to know somebody or you really have to make a, a compelling case just to crack that interview. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with all that you're saying here. And to add to that, it really has become very competitive because I have 50 people sitting in a pilot program right now that are mostly transition teachers. And there's tons of other programs out there. So the masses are thinking about it or they're either doing it and it's really tough and competitive. And you kind of have to position yourself you have to be able to translate your skills and what you have as a teacher into ed tech speak or corporate speak. So I talk with a lot of individuals about how to do that because as a teacher, unfortunately, you're not an instructional designer, but you do do instructional design type things. As a teacher, you're not an ed tech expert. You might be an expert in some technology and training, but you don't know the the environment, the culture of the corporate space and how that all works, because you haven't been exposed to that yet. So you really got to figure out what you know, for sure, like about yourself, like what you can do, and then be vulnerable and open to upskilling based off those weaknesses or things that you lack going into that space. And definitely, I tell people it's become more competitive. This market where people are exiting out and going into things like ed tech, instructional design, instructional technology, because they see the work-life balance is better there. They're not going into a classroom every day. They're not dealing with student issues or administrative stuff. They're working from home or doing a hybrid type setting and getting to set their own schedule. So definitely more competition there. Yeah, definitely. You've had a couple of changes on your end too, Holly. I, it feels like you're working three jobs over there. What is what is going on? <laughs> I feel like I'm working 10 jobs, to be honest with you. I'm so glad you're interviewing me on the show. It's great. I love being interviewed on my own show. You're the best person to do this, Matt. So I work full-time at Amazon as an instructional designer during the day. And then I moonlight as a podcast host every once in a while. But I'm also working on some things in the background here, like a professional journey pilot, which I'm currently doing now, helping people figure out, kind of think of it as the runway to taking off before you get the role, kind of getting yourself in the space where you feel confident before you start applying to roles and kind of getting the materials ready. And then I teach part-time online, which I've been doing with this particular institution since 2017, 2018. But yeah, I feel like I have my hands on a lot of different things, but all these things I love. Then I've been doing job postings Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays on LinkedIn. And those have really gotten some attention because I'm, I was getting frustrated with companies not sharing salary. There's got to be something to be said around salary transparency, especially for transitioning teachers who are coming out of a position where they are not paid what they deserve. I talk a lot about that in my group and also out on LinkedIn world. I oh, and I got, <laughs> yeah, I reached a milestone the other day. So uh, 12,000 followers and counting. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And 
Now let's let's turn it back to you. I'm going to throw down the reverse card in Uno. <laughs> so you're you're approaching twenty thousand. What are you doing daily? And talk about your content that you're sharing out there. I'm going to probably throw the reverse Uno card back at you too. There was still more I wanted to learn, but I'll- Okay, <laughs> do it. It's totally fine. I would love that. So in, in short, I started out on LinkedIn in early 2020 and I had less than 500 connections. Like the connections, it caps at 500. You have to go down to their follow count to see their full number of followers, but I think it just only displays 500. So like you could see that I had 273 connections or whatever. What I started doing was I started connecting with people that were one step ahead of me, trying to start conversations with them, ask their advice, and then build a little bit of a network of like, hey, just in case these are good people to know. Once I made my transition into ed tech and decided that's this is the place for me long term i started writing for people so i still have like dms and texting relationships with people that i work with or colleagues of mine that work at different companies now and those are like networking conversations and we're comparing stories like hey what's going on in your world this is what's happening in mine and we're trading those professional development kind of moments together but I wanted to build a platform. I wanted to talk about things that I found interesting that I felt like people in education might found interesting too. So I've kind of picked instruction and assessment and I talk about those things on a regular basis, but I put myself out there too. Like I send a lot of connection requests of people that I want to have conversations with. So a lot of people that are assistant superintendents or superintendents that are out there changing the world, like those are the people that I want to write for and have conversations with. Yeah. I feel like some of these people are like, I call them LinkedIn celebrities because they have so much of a followership and the things that they share are so impactful. And I have that too. A lot of my connections or followers have come from 15 minute conversations, just sitting down with people and having 15 minute chats. I do it before work, lunchtime, and after work, or my open my open times. I've kind of shut down the lunch one, but just because uh, things have been busy. But I feel an obligation, especially to transitioning educators and people who are looking to jump into the instructional design or ed tech space to give back. So that's why I share that stuff. And it's really difficult sometimes for people to kind of organize their thoughts surrounding like job searching or what should you put on your LinkedIn profile. It's difficult. There's so many different resources out there. So I like to sort through the clutter and kind of simplify it. And that's the content I share, especially with those job roles. Like I will not post a position without the salary or if it offers a remote or hybrid option. In-person stuff is great and it does have salary. So if that's what you're looking for, wonderful. But what I wanted to post flexibility in the workplace and also making sure that you're getting a livable salary, even if it's just sharing a range. I really love those jobs posting because I've learned so much about the job market that exists and met a lot of great people who are also helping transitioning teachers and others come into this market. And you know, I, I don't have to tell you this because you understand why it's valuable, but I can give a for instance here. Yes. Um, two of the states that I support are Illinois and New York. Well, they are two of the highest paid educator and admin states there are in the, in the country. So the job market is very different based on where you are geographically in terms of teacher pay. So for example, Average salary, I'm just going to pick a round number in South Carolina is somewhere around like 42K. So, I know, it's so low. 
Well, yeah, being in South Carolina, you can probably attest to that. Yeah, you too. <laughs> yeah. So it's yes, like we're South Carolinians now. We're proud of it. <laughs> that's right. But you take other states, and after several years and credentials, they're at a very different number. So the for them to make a transition out of teaching, in many cases, teachers from Illinois and New York feel like they are taking a significant step back salary and compensation-wise than what they're used to. So you providing salary numbers is really helpful, but probably for most people, they're expecting their first role is going to move them from teaching into another company in the right direction up. But in a lot of cases, that's not the case. So it's so what you're providing in terms of salary is helpful to a, a lot of people. And I know Illinois and New York aren't the only states, but there are two specific ones that I work with. And I've heard that story dozens of times. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. And I feel like sometimes there's a lot of taboo around asking for clarity around salary. Like it's a big secret to everybody and I don't understand why. I think I have an example of why. I think I know why it happens sometimes, but I don't know for sure why we're not being transparent about those pieces. It's a mystery to me. So what? how often are you publishing those? Because you have what I'm counting as three full-time jobs right now. <laughs> so what's your approach to content creation and, and podcasting? Okay. So content creation, I do those job postings every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'm typically doing it the night before. Wednesdays, we go international. So Wednesdays are international job postings. I try to go all over the world and find postings for people who are looking for an international role or living elsewhere than the United States. Mondays and Fridays are US-based roles. And where I'm going, I'm curating these jobs is from a variety of different places. So there's LinkedIn, there's Indeed, there's Glassdoor, there's Chelsea's Skip Remote job. She's been on the show. A lot of the education-related positions come from her site. Just seeing things out on LinkedIn that I just save when I see them fly by. I'm like, this might be interesting. And sometimes you have to read the description to see the actual salary, even if it just doesn't look like it's not posted there. So I do read before I go to bed at night. And then for podcasting, I love talking to people and I love making connections like the connection that we have. Like it was just so easy to say, hey, you want to come back on the show and talk about what's going on at Formative and what you're doing in your life? You're like, sure. It's just something I think is so endearing and helpful to promote. We should all be helping each other. We should all be promoting this ecosystem of support. And I love giving back. So the podcast is my way of sharing your story and other people's stories, but also entangling myself in your story as well and sharing like what I think, where we're headed and where we should be going and continue to help others. Right on. Yeah. Same question to you. (laughs) How do you set everything up? What are your content curating methods and what do you do? You know, I'm not sure I have it figured out. I I go through phases. I like to talk about things that I find interesting. Recently, I posted about the 23 nonfiction books that I read over this current year. And it's funny, my wife was like, you always give books four-star ratings because we follow each other on Goodreads. (laughs) I (laughs) I saw your Goodreads post. That's that's right. And I laughed and I thought, oh my gosh, I think I do give all my books four-star. So I- (laughs) And they love you for it, right? (laughs) So I, I went- and I went through and I was like, did I give any books five star? And I knew I'd, I at least get had given one uh, five star. And I was like, oh, here are the three. And so I was just thinking <laughs> about what was about these three books that made me give them five stars. Funny story, only 
two books got two star ratings from me. They were both required readings from work. <laughs> oh, we're not. Yeah, we won't tell them what those are. Yeah, don't don't tell that 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 was what I thought of the two books that we read. <laughs> so that to me was interesting, and just hearing other people, you know, this is my favorite book from this past year and what I read. But I stick mainly to the things that in education space. You know, learning, education, self-improvement, assessment, and instruction are the things that I feel like I have an expertise in, but they're just fun for me to talk about. Yeah, it's a really a win-win situation. I can see where that happens when these are things we're passionate about, we want to share with the world, and just want to get it out there. Like, if you see some cool stuff, and you can kind of simplify it down and have it as a post... I just love doing that. People are like, I'm so confused about job transitioning or I'm so confused about LinkedIn posting. I love creating something where it's just here are three simple things you can do because mm-hmm. anybody can do three simple things. Anybody can take 15 minutes. You can do that in your day. You don't have to publish posts on LinkedIn to get value from LinkedIn. Right, right. You, you can just take it in, navigate the feed follow people that are interesting, make comments, ask questions in a post, and you can get a lot of value and really build your network that way. If I gave advice to someone who's just getting started on LinkedIn, it's find people that are in your current situation and use them to rub elbows with, what are you doing? What are you learning? And then try to find people that are one step ahead of you, maybe working at a company that you want to be in or a role that you hope to be in yourself. And, you know, send them a connection request and uh, see if they're open to a conversation. At minimum, though, when they post, that's the best way to to get their attention is to leave a thoughtful comment, ask a question. Yeah, 100%. I love when people leave comments because I'll just, if they're not connected, I'll connect with them or follow them just to make sure that we see each other's stuff. I love doing that. LinkedIn is a vast ecosystem. I'm sitting here thinking, and you're already going to be on this, this thing I have going in my head, like a panel of people out on LinkedIn who've... D- do content creation and do it well and get a substantial amount of followers and like how they did it. I think sometimes while the number is important and it does make me feel validated as a content creator and being out on LinkedIn world, it's a lot of hard work to get to that point. It doesn't happen overnight. Like we didn't gain 12,000, 18,000, 20,000 followers in one night. It takes a lot of content posting, takes a lot of interaction. It takes a lot of talking to other people. There's a variety of different things that go into that equation to equal our large followership. And I'm so proud of that. I tell people, they're like, don't look at the numbers. I'm like, why not? I put a lot. That's like my money. That's like my, that's my extrinsic motivation right there is seeing the followership come through. I spend at least an hour curating these job posts every time. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about that. I feel like it's a receipt that demonstrates value. I'm not going to invest my time somewhere where I feel like I'm not delivering value. So when people are reading, hitting the like button or commenting or following, it's an expression of like, thank you for posting this. That's how I kind of view it. But I also made a, a decision to myself several years ago when I left education and didn't know where to turn. I felt like I had no network. And I had skills that I wasn't sure if they were going to transfer somewhere else. So I made a commitment moving forward in 2016, 2017, that I would never be in a position where if I needed a job, that I wouldn't be able to have a conversation with people quickly and find a job quickly. So there's a lot of professional networking was one of the main reasons why I dialed into it originally. And it's kind of blossomed and morphed into other things since then. But that was my original reason. And I, I feel like I've accomplished that goal. Definitely have. And this community that we're in is super welcoming and super open 
to helping others. And that's what I love about it. And I'm already thinking of like, we need to have this panel. I just keep thinking in my mind, we need to talk about it. We need to share what we did. Um, it took me a good three years to get this level <laughs> of followership <laughs> is not something that happened, like I said, overnight. All right. We could talk about this all day. I'm sure you and I, we'd have a bunch of different things to say. Let's talk about what's coming up for formative in the next year and what's happening in the foreseeable future. What can you share? not violating any NDA. What are your goals hopping into the new year? I think I expect to see a lot more districts hop on board. I'm telling the story currently to the states in which I serve. Hey, it was two and a half years ago. We went from five districts in your state to now we're at 65, 70. Most of that happened without a marketing department. So that means that people were hearing about us organically, means educators, instructional coaches were presenting our platform at conferences, and then teachers were signing up for a free version, liking what they saw in the free version, wanting additional features and benefits, upgrading to the plan, and next thing you know, I get a call from assistant superintendent saying, hey, my teachers won't stop talking about your platform. I have to take a meeting with you, so leave me alone. <laughs> I love it. I love I love that sort of traction and word of mouth information that happens. So I'm looking forward to having you on again in another year. We're going to have to make this a tradition that we come in and talk about our growth and what also what you're doing at Formative and what we're doing out on LinkedIn world. And I really appreciate your time, Matt, and like our friendship. I know we share things. If I see something, I'll message you or you'll message me about certain things. So I really appreciate that and having that friendship out in LinkedIn world. Absolutely. And and what before you wrap us up, Holly? Yeah, what, I was going to say, what, is there anything else? For you? What's next for me is continuing to curate this content through the podcast, the job, helping people transition into roles that they want to be in and making a life better for themselves, because we're not just here to work and pay bills. We're also here to have a life. So that's definitely what I want to focus on. And also upskilling at Amazon. It's a lot. <laughs> It's a lot. And what about you? What's what's in the future for you? Well, I was I was going to ask another question. Yeah, no, ask another question. For, for folks looking to open the Amazon door. Yeah. What, what is your advice? And you had mentioned upskilling. What's what's the environment there for you? Um, I really feel it's a culture of innovation. So you have to be very open to change and change quickly. I also feel like the the people in the, the Amazon environment are so supportive and there's so many resources. So feel comfortable being uncomfortable at certain points and being vulnerable and asking those questions you think you're not supposed to ask. Like, you know, I have to figure this out for myself. No, you need to ask your supervisor or you need to ask your teammates, get clarity around those things because I feel like in education all too often, it's like, oh, that's your responsibility. This is what you need to take care of care of but I feel like Amazon I really found that like collaborative environment where I can just ask if I I really don't understand something I can ask a question and it's nobody's gonna judge me I'm not gonna look bad but feel very open to to being vulnerable and you know honestly and I tell people this there's not one thing you can do to get into the Amazons the metas the Googles of the world it really do you fit with the culture can you work in a remote environment or a hybrid environment can you assimilate the change? And Amazon has tons of leadership principles that we follow. So it's more about who you are as a person and your authenticity than it is about the technology that you know. So did you feel like you had to upskill a bunch 
to get in the door or do you feel like you've upskilled more now that you're there? I've upskilled more now than I'm here. With this techie background and the ed tech stuff, I feel I had a good foundation into learning some of the tools that we use. I'm just upskilling on what we use, getting a feel for the, the Amazon culture. That's it. So the tech deck that that they have. Yeah, the tech deck, which is a vast, as you can imagine, <laughs> a vast amount of different things. Do you feel like there's been one skill or certification that you acquired beforehand that's lent itself nicely or translated or prepared you? Being able to take a technology and simplify it down into it little pieces so that I can build upon, just like teaching when you're scaffolding stuff, like today I'm going to work on blank technology and I'm going to learn this, this, and this. Like, I feel like that's important. The prioritization of what you need to learn when you're coming in and you're upskilling in a position, you're flying the plane as it's being built. So I feel like that's something I had to learn how to do. I feel much more comfortable now, but definitely I'm upskilling more in the role than I was outside of the role. I feel like my ed techiness and just ability to see technology and break it down into its simplest form has really been advantageous to me in this type of environment. Nice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Are you going to host a podcast soon? <laughs> Cause I'm coming on. <laughs> I don't, I don't have the same bandwidth that you do. Some people are just like normal human beings. We, have to, we can't do everything that you do. Yeah. Well, you know what I tell, I tell people at a certain age, this is all going to stop. This is all temporary for me. So I'm going to live it up and suck up every second that I have the ability to do these things that I can do and want to do. Right on. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time, Matt, and coming on the show again. And everybody can go check out all the things about Formative in the show notes. And definitely you need to go listen to episode five first and then jump to this most recent episode so you can see the evolution of Matt from Formative. You've just experienced another amazing episode of Ed Up Ed Tech. Be sure to visit our website at edupedtech.com to get all the updates on the latest edtech happenings. See you next time.